things, a couple things to announce and what we're going to do here before we get started. Uh, first off, just a quick announcement concerning the uh, teens going to Youth Jam next Sunday. Lunch will be provided at 1130 out here at church. So parents, if your kids are going or kids, if you're going, lunch will be provided out here tomorrow, excuse me, next Sunday at church. You can bring a sack lunch if you'd like, but they will provide lunch as well. Um, and also, we have the blessing this morning of getting to chance to do a uh, child dedication. So uh, Chris and Kelly, if you guys want to come up here with little Addison, we get to dedicate Addison Kelly Meyer today. Born back in November, November 12th. And joined by big brother and big sisters here, Chase, Emily, and Linnea. Hi, guys. How are you today? You guys look good, don't you? Yep. Yeah. You like my microphone? It has power. <laughs> Whoever has the microphone's in charge. Chase, you want to be in charge for a second? Anything you ever want to say to anybody? There you go. Let's see. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Oh, my goodness. See, and you even got it the right way. I'm not ambidextrous. Hi, Addison. Oh, my goodness. Look at you snuggling right in there. So is there a story behind the outfit? No. Okay. I'm sorry. Some, sometimes there is and sometimes there's not. So if you'd like to make one up real quick, you can. So this is little Addison Kelly Meyer, like I said, born back in November, November 12th. And you are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed there, aren't you? Oh, my goodness. Look at that. She's obsessed with lights. Well, sometimes I get that way, too. So... Well, look at you. Oh, we're even going to get a little happy there. So we're going to pray here for just Kelly and Chris. And like I said, for Chase, Emily, and Linnea, big brother and big sisters there. And also going to pray for uh, Addison, too. So let's just pray here. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Thank you for this very precious little girl. Lord, we pray for Chris and Kelly that they would just be the godly parents you've called them to be as they just raise her in you. And we just pray that they would give, uh, you'd give them godly wisdom in all ways and all directions. And we pray that um, little Addison here would grow up to serve you, love you, and accept you at an early age. And Lord, we pray for health for her from head to toe. We know that she's got a procedure coming up here in a few weeks, and we want to pray for a safe, effective procedure for her. Lord, just your hand of healing be upon her. Guide and direct all things with that. And we just want to pray for Chris and Kelly with peace with that too. Lord, be with her. What a precious addition she is to the Meyer household and family. And we thank you for her. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You are. Boy, she snuggles right in there, doesn't she? Almost makes me want to have a girl. No, no, not really. Not really. Nope. Didn't, didn't say that. You want to say something too? I, I, I'm all for this. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Chris is grabbing the kids. Chris, you want to say anything? No, he's good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Congratulations there to the Meyer family there. It is a, a blessing to do those dedications. And as we like to say, a lot of the reasons we do them publicly is hopefully over the years, as you guys serve in and around, be it in the back or just out here at church, you will see those kids. You can see them get to grow up not only physically, but hopefully spiritually in the Lord. And uh, it's neat to see the parents and pray for them and be that type of body and family that prays for each other and encourages each other. So, uh, all righty, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 here. Luke chapter 10. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do the first 16 verses here. I really, really enjoyed this message today. And I hope you guys did too. Every time I went through it, it just kind of grew on me more and more. And there's some really neat, strong points in here that I absolutely love. With that being said, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. 
It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. This is the sending out of the 70. Now, we're very familiar with the 12, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Those were distinct men that God raised up for a very special purpose and a very special calling. Jesus also had other disciples that followed him. And here he sends out 70 of them. Now, who chose these guys to go out? Well, God chose them. But that word is even stronger than chose. The Lord appointed them. Some of your translation says chose. This word appointed carries a much deeper meaning. It doesn't mean they're just picked. It means that God says to place in a position, a calling, a ministry. We're chosen for salvation. Back in John 15, God makes it clear that Jesus chose us. Now, this is a different word. He chose us for salvation. Now we're appointed. Now we're placed in a position to go out and serve the Lord, a ministry and a calling. A lot of you have been chosen to salvation, but you're still looking where you've been appointed. You've been placed for ministry and calling. The Bible makes it clear. Everybody has a ministry. Everybody has a calling. Now, generally at this time, we would stop and do a message about knowing what your calling is and knowing what your ministry is and seeking the Lord on that. But we've talked about that a lot recently. I want to go the opposite way. Let's talk for a couple minutes here of why people don't accept a ministry or a calling or a position. What I've seen, first off, I wrote down just three of them here real quick, is people are waiting for their ministry. And I put that word there in quotes. They know what they want to do. They want to serve, fill in the blank. They want to serve with the youth. So therefore, that's their calling. Well, God didn't reveal that to them. They chose that on their own. They want to serve in music. Well, that's what they want to do. So they're waiting for their ministry. So they may have been called to serve up here, and God's saying, they said, nope, I want to be in the back or something like that. So instead of seeking the Lord and what the Lord wants, they're just wanting to do what they want. They want to witness to who they want to witness to. They want to start the Bible study. They want to start. They want the ministry that they want. Maybe God doesn't have them in that ministry. And that's the problem. They're not fulfilling the ministry that God gave them because they're only doing their ministry, their calling, instead of stopping and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Don't you think with these 70 that were sent out, don't you think there were some of them that maybe didn't want to go? I mean, they they grouped up two by two, and they were sent out to all these different cities. Don't you think there was somebody in that 70 as Jesus was giving them the marching orders and saying, okay, go out to these towns, do this, where they would say, please don't let me serve with Fred. I will serve with anybody but Fred. And Jesus says, I'm putting you with Fred. Don't you think? Don't you think there was a group of them that said, we'll go anywhere, but don't send us to, I don't know, Capernaum. We don't want to go to Capernaum. And Jesus says, I'm sending you two to Capernaum. That's just sometimes the way it works. God has a sense of humor. Sometimes he will send you with people that maybe you wouldn't choose to work with to teach you a lesson. And sometimes he'll send you to places that you normally wouldn't choose to go to teach you unconditional love. So if you're waiting for your ministry, because you've already decided what's best for you, you and God may not be on the same page. A verse that I cling to a lot is out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. See, don't lean on your own understanding. You may have an idea which you think works good for you, That may not be where God wants you. So the first reason why we don't have a calling or a ministry or we feel like we've been placed somewhere is we're waiting for what we want rather than what God wants. The second one is we talk ourselves out of it. Boy, I've seen this happen all the time. People feel led to do something, but they talk themselves out of it. If you're in that group that you can talk yourself out of something God's called you to do, you're joining a very select group of people. Moses tried doing it. Gideon tried doing it. So did Peter. So did Elijah. 
we can go right down the list of people that knew they were called to go do something and they talked themselves out of it. Maybe you're called to go serve in the back. But you say, you know what, I'm not, no, not me. Anywhere but the teens, you know, anywhere but the youth, anywhere but the toddlers. I know I'm not called back there. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're called to start up that Bible study. Maybe you're called to witness that person at work. Oh, not me. I'm sure there's somebody else. You end up talking yourself out of what God's called you to do, and therefore you miss the blessing. You miss that fulfillment of knowing what the Lord wants you to do. That's the second reason. The third one is really not deep. The third one is we just don't want to do it. God's made it clear. We know what he wants. We just don't want to do it. Lord, I don't want to serve with that person. I don't want to serve there, and I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do it. Paul, in his final letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, just simply says, fulfill your ministry. Whatever ministry calling that God has called you to do, fulfill it. That is where you will find your place. You have a position that God has picked for you, a calling you're chosen for, appointed to a certain ministry, and that's what it is. These 70 here, back in verse 1, were appointed, set into a position by God to be used by God. And once again, I'm sure some of them didn't want to go where they were sent and didn't want to go with whom they were sent. Now, let's talk about that for a second. He sent them out two by two. Did you catch that? See, two by two is important. Accountability, support, encouragement. You know, for many years I was out here, uh, we had obviously volunteer assistance, but I was out here as the only um, paid position full-time doing things. And when Rich came on staff a few years ago, it was such a blessing to be able to have that person to go do some of those visits with, to go do some of those tough hospital visits or tough calls with, and you had that encouragement. You had that support. And there'll be times even at home still where there'll be like something that pops up and Dawn will be like, what are you doing today? And I'm like, well, I'm going to take off. I'm going to go and do this visit. And I said, Rich and I are going to go do it. She says, why, why is Rich going with you? She goes, for 10 years, you did it all by yourself. You can't go without Rich now. And I always go back to Luke 10, verse 1. Two by two, accountability. It is so nice when you have that other brother and the Lord and you're talking to someone and God gives them something to say. You're like, wow, I love this teamwork. I love the Spirit can speak through anybody here. And you see that two by two, support, accountability, encouragement. God has made us a group, a body. There's a verse in Isaiah, it's Isaiah 50, 11. It says, woe to him who warms himself by the fire alone. There is a danger in being that solo Christian. I run into that every now and then, where you run into that person that says, well, you know what, I can, I can get the teaching at home, I can get the worship at home, I can do everything there at home. And you're right, you can. Don't get me wrong, there's good worship. There's better teaching than you're going to get out here on the TV, I know that. But God has designed you to be part of the body. God has designed you to be part of the family. And sometimes we buck that. God says, this is how I've created you, to be part of a body and a family. And woe to him who warms himself by the fire alone. There is a danger in being so low Christian, I can just do this by myself. You need the accountability, you need the support, you need the encouragement. Why do we like to go alone? Well, let's just be honest. Sometimes you don't like people in the body. I heard a pastor one time say at a pastor's conference, he goes, if you look at yourself in the mirror, aren't there parts of your body that you don't like? Aren't there parts of your body that don't look good, that don't work well, that you just don't like? He goes, the same thing happens in the body of Christ. There are parts of the body that don't work real well, don't look real good, but you can't cut them off. They're part of the body. 
And that is part of that two by two going out, that encouragement, accountability, support. And what's their ministry? Look at verse 1. Their ministry is a ministry of preparation. Go before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. The reason you are here is to prepare people to meet Jesus. That is your calling in life, is to prepare people to meet Jesus. If you are trying to do something else to fill your life with some other type of ministry, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Your sole purpose is to prepare people to meet Jesus. That's what you're here to do. The Bible uses this word that we're called an ambassador. It's a word we're going to use a lot today, an ambassador. See, this is not our home. When I got saved, when you got saved, your home became heaven. And so therefore, God sent us, if you will, as an ambassador to represent God in heaven to this foreign planet, Earth. This is not my home. This is a dying world that I'm sent as an ambassador to to prepare people to meet Jesus, and I represent my leader, God, and I represent my country, heaven, to this foreign world. As an ambassador, I represent the Lord and prepare people to meet Christ. Too often, people go out into their lives thinking they're going to fulfill themselves with some type of work, some type of whatever. I don't know. I was just talking to a guy this week on the phone, just getting a chance to witness to him, and he was talking about work. Works like 10 hours a day, five, six, seven days a week, and he talks about the emptiness of that. And I told him I would think that would be utterly empty too. Get up every day at 6, get to work, work 10, 11, 12 hours, come home, eat supper, go to bed, and get up and do the next thing the next day. That is empty. I told him his purpose in life is not work. His purpose in life is the Lord. That gives a fulfillment. That gives a purpose. If you're caught in this doldrums of life, it's just the same thing again and again and again. You need to stop and realize as an ambassador of God, I am above this world and what I do, and I have a higher calling, a higher privilege of preparing people to meet Christ. Because I tell you right now, the things of this world will bring you down, depress you, and discourage you. But when your sole purpose is just to prepare people to meet Christ, my goodness, it gives you a deeper meaning and purpose in life. Why do people need to know the Lord? Look at verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This verse, the Matthew 9 version, is the verse that we use on our letterhead out here at church. That idea to remind us that the harvest is plentiful. Think about that for a second. If you would go with every single person you have ever met or know in the world, every single person, I'm willing to bet you probably know more people that are not saved than people that are saved. The harvest is truly great. Now, as an ambassador, it's my job to introduce these people to my leader, the Lord. The harvest truly is great. So what are we supposed to do? The laborers are few. The laborers are sent out. That phrase, the laborers are few, what a phrase that is. A lot of things with that. I heard a teaching one time where the pastor said, very simply put, he goes, you will never have enough people serving in the back. He says, you'll never have enough people signing up to clean the church. You'll never have enough people signing up to help with VBS. You never will. Why? Because, verse 2, the laborers are few. People are, it's just few. What do you do? Why do people not want to? You know, you ever stop and think about that? Why do people not want to serve? I think the key word is found there in the word laborer. It's work. It's work to serve the Lord. I tell you, today's been a crazy day. 
First phone call happened at 6.30 this morning. It was Rich calling me. We knew that this rain was coming, so yesterday Rich and I talked, and he got some stuff around to get the pump going. So Rich called me at 6.30. Someone called him from the church saying, hey, the parking lot is pretty flooded. We need to get out there and do stuff. So Rich said, I'm going to get out there and get going on that. The sound people are already out here taking care of stuff at church a little after 7. People that do worship are already out here a little after 7 getting ready to practice. It's work. I got a phone call then about 7.30, and the person that was supposed to play drums this morning couldn't make it, so they said, hey, can you fill in? It's like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll do it. Throw one more thing on there. They're out there pumping water. They're, we're in here trying to do stuff like that. There's a lot of work that goes. And I don't mention this to say, hey, let's build anybody up. I'm saying it's labor. It's work. This is why we do it, though. And I tell you, sometimes people choose not to serve because it's uncomfortable. But you know what? You have to look past that to why do I do this? Because as an ambassador of the Lord, I am choosing to serve God by serving people. That's where my calling is. How do you get more people to serve? My goodness, we've tried everything. We're, we're going we're to push you. We're going to put inserts. We're going to ask you personally. We're going to guilt you. We're going to do everything we can, right? See, here's the thing. We don't want people to serve if they're not called to serve. If we sit up here and we give you an opportunity to serve and said, hey, we need some help in this area in the back, that means we're asking you to pray and seek the Lord over it. We don't want someone coming up and saying, hey, I heard you need help with the two-year-olds. Yeah, we need somebody back there. Well, I'll do it. Are you called to do it? No, not really. In fact, I hate two-year-olds. <laughs> well, no, then no, we, we don't want you back there. But, yeah, but I'm willing to go back. I'm a warm body. No, we don't want warm bodies back there. We want somebody who says, wow, I have an opportunity on Sunday mornings to impact a child for Christ. That's what we're looking for. When somebody comes up and says, hey, I, I'll help out with that, one of the questions I usually ask them is, have you prayed and do you feel led? If you don't feel led to do it, we don't want you to do it. A lot of the times when we offer up opportunities to serve, we are doing it to have go pray about it and seek the Lord on where he's calling you to do it. Why do we want you to serve? Because we need the help? No, we know from verse 2, God provides the help. We want you to serve because it's part of, of your walk with the Lord. It will bless you. It will bless you. Turn, if you will, with me to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. We want you to have everything that God has in store for you. Obviously, yesterday was a very nice day as you're turning to Isaiah 58. So, during that very nice day, Don told the boys, you're going outside. They didn't want to go outside. Don said, I don't care. You're going outside. It's good for you. Don't repeat this, but sometimes Don will send them outside and say, I'm locking the door and you're not allowed to come back in. You need to enjoy the weather and the time out there. It is good for you. It's the middle of January. You don't get it. Enjoy 50, 60 degree weather. It's the same thing with serving. It is good for you. See, so often people are like, well, I'll serve. Why? Well, you know, if I feel bad for them, they don't have the help. And pastor's been saying something. No, don't do it for that. Do it because the Lord laid it on your heart and you want to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. Let's talk about this for a second. The blessing of serving. Isaiah 58, verse 10. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden. Verse 10, if you go out there serving, you'll shine for the Lord. And look at verse 11. You will be blessed. You'll be guided by the Lord. Your soul will be satisfied. Your bones will be strengthened. See, people sometimes come to me, and they're going through a tough time in life. They're depressed. They're discouraged. And I'll ask them, well, where are you serving? Oh, I couldn't serve now. 
This is such a dark time in my life. This is such a difficult time. Maybe when things get better, I'll get out there. No, you're missing the point of serving. Look at verse 11 one more time. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. When you are weak, that's the time to go out there and serve other people. Because it gets your eyes off you. And it gets your eyes on people that are hurting. I'm telling you right now, if you're feeling dry spiritually, ho-hum in the word, ho-hum in prayer, where are you flexing your spiritual muscles at? Where are you serving God's people? Where are you being an ambassador to the lost? That is what encourages you, uplifts you, and guides and directs you. See, when Jesus sent out the 70 here, jump ahead back now to Luke 10. We're not going to get to this this week, but we'll get to it next week. Look at the response in verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy. There is a joy in serving. We don't mention it because we need you. We mention it because we want you blessed. So the laborers are few. You pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. God takes care of that. He raises up the right people. We pray. God raises up. We don't force. It doesn't do any good. God stirs people, and they're blessed. So as they go out there to serve, what happens? Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Well, that's not a good verse to share as you're sending people out. It's a fight. It is a, a fight. I, I'm telling you right now, any time I've ever had to miss, especially on a Wednesday, and I'll get somebody to fill in for me on a Wednesday, I tell them, especially if they haven't taught a Wednesday before, I'll say, listen, church is at 7. Do you realize what your day is going to be like until 7 o'clock? Anything you can imagine that try to distract you, annoy you, bother you, it is going to be thrown at you that day. Because you are a lamb among wolves. So you finally stop and you say, Lord, I'm going to witness to that person tomorrow at work. I'm going to go in there. I'm prayed up. I'm fasted. I'm all ready. And I'm going to go share Christ with them. Guess what's going to happen tomorrow morning when you wake up? I guarantee you'll probably have a headache at least. You'll probably be running late for work. You'll forget something at home. And you'll get to work and you'll see that co-worker and you'll say, boy, today's just not a good day to share Christ. No, you're a lamb among wolves. That is what is going to happen. That's why in Ephesians 6, God gave you armor to remind you you are in a battle every day of your life. People get so easily discouraged. I really wanted to do this for the Lord, and then this happened. Car problem happened. Health issue happened. Life issue happened. doesn't surprise me. You're a lamb among wolves. This is what is going to happen. Takes us to our next verse, verse 4. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. This is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. Don't take your money. Don't take your knapsack. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. It's faith. Realize what Jesus is asking these 70 to do. He's asking them to go out, first off, partner up with somebody you may not even know, you may not even like. Do you not remember back to grade school and high school? The worst thing the teacher could say is everybody find a partner. I hated that. I hated it. I'm so glad I'm married. I have a partner. I don't have to find one. From now on, anytime we're someplace and says, find a partner, I grab Dawn. We're one flesh. Tough luck. You have to stay with me. So that idea of going out. They may have been out with somebody they don't even know or like. Once again, they're being sent places they don't even know, they may not like. And now, verse 3, you're a lamb among wolves. Verse 4, walk in faith. This is a big deal. God is trying to say, you have to trust me with absolutely everything. 
Too often we have the surface relationship with the Lord. But do we have that deep-hearted trust that I say, Lord, I trust you with whomever you send me, wherever you send me, and with whatever you send me. That's what these 70 had to go through. Verse 5, whatever your house you enter, first say peace to this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. That phrase, do not go from house to house. Take what is given to you. I've seen people miss out on the opportunity of serving the Lord because they're always waiting for something better. See, what Jesus is telling them here in verse 7 is, whatever house you go to, stay there. So you go to this nice little old widow's house. She doesn't have a pillow for you. She's just got this mud bed, and the only thing she has is bread and water. Be thankful you have that. So you go out to serve, and next thing you know, you run into Fred, who also was sent out. And he's like, boy, we're staying down at the Smith house. We got pillows and sheets and beds, more food you can ever imagine. Boy, the Smiths really have a heart for missionaries. See, what Jesus is saying is don't leave the widow to go down to the Smith house. Be content with what you have. Some people in ministry are always waiting for the next big thing. You know what? I'm going to really serve the Lord. What are you going to do? I'm going to do this Bible study. That's great. That's wonderful. So when are you going to start it? Well, I'm not going to start it yet because I've got to get everything around and make sure everything's perfect. And Oh, my, you're just going to miss out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to my coworker about Christ. When? When the time is perfect. I'm telling you right now, I've had the chance to share Christ with a lot of people. I don't know if I've ever had the perfect time to share the Lord with somebody. You take the time that God gave you. Be prepared in season and out of season. Too often in verse 7, we go from house to house waiting for the best thing, looking for the best thing. Sometimes the best thing is just right where you're at. Take it, serve the Lord where you're at. Verse 9, heal the sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This verse is important. Yes, they're doing miracles. Yes, they're doing amazing things. But they're proclaiming God, not themselves. Imagine being given the power to heal the sick. Powerful. Note the wording given after it happens. The kingdom of God has come near to you. This is not about me. This is not about my glory. In fact, I don't even care who gets the glory or the attention. It's the kingdom of God has come near to you. Too often in Christianity, we want to make sure we get our due. Did anybody see me serve? Did anybody see me show love to that person? Did anybody see me witness? doesn't matter. The kingdom of God has come near you. I'm not here for the glory and the attention. I'm here to proclaim the Lord. I am an ambassador of God sent by him to be an example to a dying world. Verse 10. Whatever city you enter, they do not receive you. Go out into the streets and say, This very dust of your city which clings to you, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for any city. See, this is what happens. Verse 10 and 11. They're going to go to some of these cities, and guess what? They're going to be rejected. It's going to happen. Jump ahead to verse 16. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I'm an ambassador. So if my message of salvation is rejected by the world, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the person who sent me, which is God himself. See, this is the thing I see. People get pumped up to go out and serve the Lord or witness. So they go out and witness, they share Christ, and guess what happens? Nothing Nothing happens. They get rejected. And they're so deflated. My goodness. 
That's part of our walk with the Lord is to realize people are going to reject our message. I've seen people so pumped up for God get rejected. It deflates them so bad, they just quit serving. Well, I tried serving in the back one time. It didn't work out. I'm never doing that again. I tried one time going to that Bible study. It didn't work out. I'm never doing that again. I shared Christ with them one more time. I'm never doing that again. So you got rejected. That's going to happen. You're going to get rejected more than you're going to get accepted. And that's why Jesus reminds us in verse 16, they're rejecting me, not rejecting you. You're going to make a stand, be it at home, at work, at your school, in your community. And as you make a stand for the Lord, more people will reject your stand than accept your stand for Christ. You are a lamb among wolves. People will try to tear you down, tear down your ministry, tear down your witness, tear everything down. Jesus says, be prepared for that. Be ready for that. Don't let that destroy you. Verse 10 and 11, knock the dust off your feet and move on. You represented your Savior. You were an ambassador for them. And now you move on. Now what about them? See, isn't there a fleshly response? This just doesn't sound fair. These people are saying things about me that aren't true. These people are talking behind my back. I'm just trying to represent Christ. I'm just trying to be a good servant here. These people who claim to be Christians are doing this and that. This isn't fair. What about them? Verse 12, But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have replaced long ago, excuse me, repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. They're going to be judged. See, as an ambassador, you represented your heavenly nation. You represented your heavenly Savior. You came down to this foreign world that is no longer yours. As soon as you get saved, this is no longer your home. And this world rejected your message, rejected your role as an ambassador. This world will be judged for that. Now, we've got to be careful. Because as humans, sometimes we like that a little bit. Now, you won't admit it because you're better than me, but I'll admit it. Sometimes you have that person that you kind of are witnessing to, sharing to, and it's going worse instead of going better in the back of your mind. Oh, one day they'll figure it out. When they're toasting in hell forever, they'll figure it out. And there's that moment of almost, dare we say, joy, then you have that immediate moment of, wait a second, Jesus died for this person. God's heart breaks for this person. Ezekiel makes it very clear, God has no joy in the death of the wicked. None. So we see judgment will come. See, it goes back to what we talked about last week in verse 54. When Jesus was rejected, verse 54 of Luke 9, when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? See, that's our response to rejection. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. See, as an ambassador, I don't want this planet destroyed. I want this planet saved. And we got to make sure as Christians we have that mindset. Verse 16, you will be rejected. You will be. You'll be rejected by non-believers, and you'll be rejected by believers. It's going to happen. Put this all together. Verse 1, you are sent out. You are appointed. You have a position. You're not just chosen by God for salvation, but you have a ministry that God gave you. 
What is that ministry? I can't answer that question for you. But don't put off a ministry waiting for the perfect one. Don't talk yourself out of what God has told you to do. And don't just say no. Take the ministry that God gives you and go in verse 1. Have support. Have encouragement. Have accountability. That's the purpose of the body of Christ. And as you go out, verse 2, realize you are a laborer and it is work. It is going to be work. God will raise up people to go out because the harvest is plentiful. Verse 3, you're going to get attacked. You're gonna, I mean, imagine this visual here in verse 3. I just, I just envision this lamb sitting in the middle, surrounded by five, six, seven, eight wolves. That lamb doesn't stand a chance. See, but the thing is, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Verse 4, we walk in faith. We realize, verse 7, we're content with what God gives us. And we also realize in verses 9, 10, and 11, I'm just here to proclaim God, and I realize I will be rejected. I will be. I don't take it personally. I keep moving forward. I keep being an ambassador. I keep representing my Savior, and I realize by them rejecting me, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the message I present of Jesus. Let's finish this up. Can you go to 2 Corinthians 5, please? 2 Corinthians 5. Let's put this all together here. Second Corinthians five. It says in Second Corinthians five, verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's your salvation experience. You are an old creation full of sin, and now you're a new creation in Christ. How simple is that? I was a sinner that was going to hell. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and now I get to be saved and go to heaven. Corinthians talks about the simplicity of Jesus. A really overlooked theme. How simple salvation is. People write books about salvation that are longer than the Bible, which just fascinates me. Humans have more to say about salvation than what God does. Salvation is simple. I'm going to hell. Jesus died for me. I get to go to heaven. How simple is that? Why don't we accept that simplicity? Because nothing can be that simple. I was telling a story earlier about we were at Walmart with the boys. And Elias likes to buy his own stuff when he goes to Walmart. He's got his own little wallet. He likes to buy his own stuff, get his own receipt, etc. So we're standing there at the checkout at Walmart. He puts his stuff up on the conveyor belt. And they check it out, and they take care of it, and he's getting ready to pay them. He pulls me aside, and he goes, Dad. I said, what? He goes, he goes they don't do anything. I said, what do you mean? He goes, they don't do any math. He goes, the machine does all the math for them. I said, yeah. What happened was Elias had this envisionment, and I'm not picking on Walmart Associates here, that, or any cashier people, that the cashier person was, was like figuring this whole thing up, and he was totally impressed. And now he realized they scan things. And I know it's more complex than that. Don't attack me. They scan things. And now he's disappointed. So if you've ever run a cashier or a register, I should say, my son is utterly disappointed in you. He thought you were the greatest people in the world. And now you don't do anything. You don't do anything. The machine does it all for you. And his little world, it's now really simple. You scan it. It beeps. You put it in the bag. And the machine does it all. Boy, isn't that the same thing with Jesus? How, how simple is it? 
Think about it. If someone came up to you and just simply said, how do I get saved? How long of an answer would you give to that? If someone ever comes up to me and says, what do I have to do to be saved? I quote the verse out of Acts. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now, there's more to that. Well, James, there's more. Come on, you've got to tell about what believe means. Yeah, I understand that. But salvation is simple. I was talking to that same guy on the phone I mentioned to you earlier this week. And I asked him the classic question. If you die today, where are you going to go? And he goes, well, I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to hell. And I said, why are you going to go to hell? Because of the things I did. And I said, you don't go to hell for the things you did. I said, you go to hell for rejecting Jesus. See, that's salvation. Jesus saves us out of hell. We all deserve hell for the things we've done. Jesus saves us out of hell. The simplicity of salvation, verse 17. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have gone away. Behold, all things have come new. Now what happens? Verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is just a fancy term that means to be made right. We reconcile bank books. We make them right. The numbers line up. We've been reconciled in God. We are now made right. But look at this. There's a ministry of reconciliation, verse 18. Verse 19, that is the God who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 19, you have now been given a ministry and a purpose. What is your ministry and purpose? According to verse 19, the word of reconciliation. I have the ability, I have the privilege, I have the purpose of the Holy Spirit to go tell people you can be made right with God. That's the ministry that is given to us. That has been, as it says in verse 19 in the New King James, committed to you. So if you're sitting here this morning saying, I still don't know what I'm supposed to do, you have been committed by God the responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Hence, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. To be reconciled to God. God chooses to speak through you. That is a calling. That is a privilege. That is a position that God gave you. And the truth be told. Until we truly fulfill that responsibility of speaking forth for God. There will always be disappointment in our life. There will be drought. There will be dry seasons. Because we're not fully doing what God has called us to do. So how do you go out and have the ministry of reconciliation? Well, how about today you go home and you just simply pray, Lord, who are you going to bring into my life this week that I can share Christ with? Maybe it's what I call hardcore evangelism. You actually get to share Christ with them. Salvation, heaven, hell. Maybe it's more of just, hey, how can I pray for you today? How can I encourage you? Giving people verses at a ministry of encouragement. Find that place where you're called to serve. You're Purpose in life is not your job. No. Your purpose in life is not just getting up and doing this or doing that. That takes up way too much of your time. Your purpose in life is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be an ambassador for the Lord. You work to pay your bills so that way you have more time to tell people about the Lord. That is where true fulfillment comes from. You are an ambassador sent by God representing heaven on this foreign planet that we call earth that is not our home. When we have that idea in the back of our mind, we're like the 70 going out. Lord, I see my mission. I see my purpose. I see the fulfillment. I represent you and all that I say and all that I do. Glenn, if you can come forward here for the final song. Let's pray.
to have that same heart on all that we do and all that we say.